we met weekly, and many of you were there, but um, just meeting there in my family room, and, and uh, every, every week we would finish by singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And so we'd stand and acapella and just sing that portion of that song. And um, what, a, what a faithful God we serve here eight years later, just watching what God has accomplished. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Um, No flowers for you, sorry. I do that for Mother's Day. But I got about six bags of beef jerky this morning, so (laughs) way better than flowers, so yeah. Sorry, I left it at home. Um, Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9 as we continue our, our study in the book of Romans. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, our our great God and Savior, we're, we're here before you this morning with hearts that are full of praise towards you. Lord, we recognize that it is from you in whom all blessings flow. We recognize that it is to you in whom all glory belongs. Our salvation is totally and completely of you, and and we praise you for what you have accomplished for us. I pray that that this day would be a day of, of worship, of worshiping you for who you are and what you have done for us Uh, a day of thanksgiving, giving thanks for the dads that you have given us. Give me thanks for the salvation that we have as a result of our Heavenly Father. A day of, of praising you for the, the joy of being able to serve you in the proclamation of the gospel. Lord, we, we ask you to meet us here this morning. We, we so humbly ask you just to, to be here in Little Reverence Bible Church and, and minister to our hearts. Cause us to leave this place different than when we came through the doors. And and may we leave with hearts that are totally given over to you and dependent upon you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For over a year, we've been in the book of Romans and studying the first eight chapters. And you go through the first eight chapters of Romans and what you find is some of the most incredible theology um, that anybody could ever hope for as far as penned there in the, the first eight chapters and perfection as the Holy Spirit inspired each and every word. And you look at it and, and for those of you who have been with us for the last year, over a year of going through Romans, it has been just an incredible time of worship, hasn't it? You, you look and, and you, you see who we, who we were as people. 
verses like what we found in, in Romans 3, where there's none righteous, no, not even, not even one. There's none who does good. We're all guilty. Every mouth will be stopped. And, and, and then you, you, you see God just present the gospel to us. The righteousness of Christ. The very righteousness of Christ that's given to us. A righteousness that's not our own, but the very righteousness of Christ that is placed upon our account to all and on all who believe. It is all totally and completely the result of of grace that comes by faith. A salvation that we look at and we just see all the sweetness of the gospel our sins, our sins removed. Our sins removed and God's righteousness placed on our account. You go through the book of Romans and you see that, that we're no longer under the law. But we've been freed from the law because Christ fulfilled all of the law in its entirety. And you go to, to, to Romans 8 and Romans 8, we, we, we have spent months in Romans 8 just just studying it and looking at our security in him. That our salvation isn't the result of of our abilities or what we have to offer God, but it's totally by grace. And we look at it and we see that there's nothing that can separate us from his love. You you look and you go through the the last part of of chapter 8 and it's just, it's like you're just reading um, a doxology of praise and adoration to our God. Paul, as he's writing these things, says, what should we say to these things? How should, how should these doctrines, how should Scripture and the truth of this theology, how do we respond to it? What do we say to these things? If, if God is for us, who could be against us? I mean, coming to a place of if he, if he gave us his own son, how much more will he also freely give us all things? And he goes and he continues, who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God that justified us. Who can condemn us? It's Christ who died. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. And he goes on and says, We're more than conquerors through him who loved us, persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I know that, that as Paul is writing this and as Millions of saints that have gone before us have read these words. The Holy Spirit has done something in our hearts where we just find ourselves in complete adoration and in love with our Savior. Who could separate me from Him? Who could take me away from Him? Who could condemn me? Who could bring a charge against me? There's nobody that can. And we just find ourselves praising Him. And now we come to Romans chapter 9. We see a shift that is taking place here in in Romans chapter 9 as far as um, 
There's a change in thought, and Paul is going to begin over the next few chapters talking about specifically God's purposes in election. Some doctrines that are, are so weighty that Christians have spent millenniums studying such doctrines. We see them as words that are, are given for us to enable us to understand God. To have our minds be able to understand its revelation, to understand him and to understand us. And to understand what God has done for us. But he begins chapter 9 and, and we'll read verses 1 through 5 but focus on verses 1 through 3. Paul says here, I, I, I tell the truth I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. We see here that Paul begins the next chapter, chapter 9, saying, I'm telling you the truth. There's no exaggeration that's taking place here. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would testify to this as well. The, the Holy Spirit would bear witness with my conscience that this is absolutely true. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. I'm not lying, I'm telling the truth. I have incredible sorrow. There's this grief that is in my heart, it's continual. It doesn't stop. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. I'm telling you the truth, my heart's broken and there's grief that is there and it doesn't ever stop. I just want my, my brothers and my sisters, my countrymen, the Israelites, I want them to be saved. I want them to be saved. In fact, I, I, I want them to be saved so much that if, if it was possible... I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. I would rather be damned for all eternity than to see my countrymen spend eternity in hell. You, you, you look at this and, and he's, he's got this love that is there for God's people. God's, 
nation of Israel. It's got this love that is there for the lost that it just breaks him to see that that they are yet without Christ. Think of who's saying this. This is Paul, who was once Saul. This is the one who, Acts 9 tells us, that Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is Saul who hated Christians. He he hated them. If, If he could just take them, if he could find any of them, he would bind them, whether they were men or women, and take them to Jerusalem to be prosecuted. You see that when he thinks of himself prior to being a Christian, he was those of, of the elite Pharisees of, of the Jews of his day. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, he tells us in Philippians 3.5. This is someone who... He, he looks at himself and says, concerning zeal, concerning, concerning zeal for God, I, I persecuted the church. Concerning zeal, I would take them from their homes. I would bind them. I would take them to Jerusalem to be put to death or to be tried. We see a, a man that... that that did everything in his power to just exterminate Christianity. And God stopped him. As he was on that road to Damascus, a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. In Acts 26, it says, Paul says, who who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I'll deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus specifically called this man and said, why are you persecuting me? From this point on, you are going to go and you're going to proclaim the gospel. He went from being a person who desired to kill Christians to being a person who loved Christ so much that it would just be to the uttermost parts of the world, whatever it meant, just to go and to proclaim the gospel. Loved Christ. But a change that has occurred to where no longer is it, I'll take them, bind them, men and women, and take them to Jerusalem to be tried and to be put to death. But he's there saying, those who are 
Jews, those who are unbelievers. I have the sorrow, this great sorrow and continual grief that is in my heart. The sorrow that's there, I, I would rather be accursed, I'd rather be damned for all eternity than to see them go to hell. More than anything, I want to see them saved. A love for the lost that is so great that it's just, whatever it takes, I just want them to be saved. I, I was preparing for the sermon and I, I came to a place of stopping just here after verse 3 because the just conviction that's there within my own life. I look and I, I pray that I would have a heart that was like that. I pray that we as a church would have hearts that were like that. Hearts that are broken for the lost. They're just, they're just broken for the lost. Not those that look at it as far as let's try to win arguments or let's, let's try to show them how you know, their relativism or their atheism or their Islam or their Buddhism or whatever it is, that it's, it's false. Let's destroy all of their arguments. But rather have hearts that, that look at it and say, I've, I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. A love for the lost that's so great that we just look and we say, I, just, I would rather, if it was even possible, I'd give up my salvation for them. Now, Paul's saying this knowing that that is not possible. There's no, one that can, there's, there's no one or anything that can separate him from the love of Christ. There's no amount of mercy that we could show that would cause us to lose our salvation because our salvation isn't given by any mercy that we do. It's all given by Christ. So these things aren't even options for us. But Paul's saying, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, my conscience is bearing witness that this is the way that I think about the lost. This is how I think about them. And I, I read that and I thought, I couldn't say that. I honestly could. I can't, I can't say I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience is bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. I swear on this that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. And so it, it stopped me there just going, I, I need to think like that. I need to. I remember a time landing in this little village of Tone, Sudan, that I've shared with you before. But we got off that plane, and, and the famine was worse than anything I could ever possibly imagine as far as people crawling towards the airship. And I, I told you, I saw four people die in just the first couple hours I was there. Like, literally just watched them die. Um, hut to hut, praying for people who were dying. And, and my job was just to, 
make a line and give them these vitamins. We had three doctors with us, and they just said, hey, you can, you can do this. Just give this, give these vitamins, give these to everybody that comes up. And so I, I had this line of people, and there was hundreds of them, hundreds and hundreds of them. And I was told that I was going to be able to be there all day. And we had done some research beforehand to see if there was any flights that were available to bring in food, and there wasn't. There was only a little caravan that we flew in that, that holds just a few people. And we were told that all the flights were taken up for um, well over a month, several months. And I was handing out these, these vitamins and praying for the people as they came, like one after another. I mean, these kids, like some of them, their, their eyes had burst because of the lack of vitamins to where they, they, they couldn't, little kids, they couldn't see anymore. And and like one of these vitamins would have made it so that that would not have happened. And, and I was approached after a, a short period of time. The line was still hundreds of people long. And I was told, we need to leave now. And I said, why, why do we need to leave now? I wasn't leaving the trip. I was supposed to be submitting. Um, but why, why do we have to leave now? We just got here. We've only been here for a few hours. They said, we need to get these people food. There's no food. We need to get them food. And I sat there just thinking, they told us there's no planes to bring food in here for months. What are we doing? Like, I remember I said, leave me here then. When you get back with food, leave me. I got my pack. I got my tent. I got my water filter. Leave me. I'm fine. Just leave me here. They're like, get in the plane. No, I'm fine. Just leave me. There's a whole line. These people, I told them they'd all get it. There's a whole line. And they said, no, we're leaving now. And I was like, processing through my mind, like submitting and hating every bit of it. And I, I got on that plane and I, I just, I, I wept. I, I wept so hard and for so long just leaving this village of people. I, I remember just looking at this just thinking they need the gospel. These people need the gospel. They, I, I just imagined like a bullhorn and just like proclaiming the gospel to these people. And, and my heart just broke. And I was, I was mad, but it was just broken. Why did we have to leave? Like we need just to go and tell these people the gospel. And we... We were flying back, and we radioed back, saying, are there any planes that could take in food? And they said, no, there's no planes. Red Cross has all of them for several months. And, and so the guy said, let's pray. So we all prayed together. I'm still just weeping. Maybe a half hour later, let's call again. And I'm like, this is embarrassing. They called again. Everybody can hear the radio. And they're like, we already told you there's no planes available. Well, let's pray. We did that like five or six times on this flight. And I, I, I honestly, I've, I, was, I was thinking like, this is just ridiculous. This is like, they're doing some kind of like name it and claim it kind of thing. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, we had the vitamins. We could have just stayed there, you know. And now they're like, you know, like, oh, let's pray. And, you know. So mad, just crying and just mad and 
we landed that plane and we went up to this little stand that where the planes took off from. I mean, when you think of an airport, it's not, it's, it's like a little portable tiny room and said, are there any planes available? And they're like, you're not going to believe this, but like two minutes ago, Red Cross called and canceled all their flights. You can have the planes that you need. And I, I remember just like, I was so convicted, but my heart was so glad. And we didn't have food. We had no food to bring in. We went. It was like 5 o'clock. All the shops were... There's two places where you could get food in this little place called Lokachokyo, Kenya. We went to the first one, and they said, no, there's no food here. All the bridges were, were washed out. There was a flood. There's been no food that's coming here, and, and there is no food. And I remember just thinking, like... God wants us to have food. We're in this store that's no bigger than this stage, and they're like, there's no food. How much food do you, you know, we needed like several metric tons of food, and they said, there's no food. And I remember thinking like, God's bigger than that, though. Like, he made this so it happened. Like, he didn't make these planes available for us not to have food. And we went to this other place, and the guy was literally like closing up shop, and we said, we need food to take into Sudan. They said, how much do you need? And we gave them a number of how many ever metric tons we needed. And they said, our truck just came in today. And we walked back, and there was this, this, this truck that was as wide as this room, filled to the top with bags of maize. And they said, it's, it's already ground up. I hope that's okay. And the people didn't have strength to grind it themselves. And we just, <laughs> like, I remember just looking at this truck just filled. They said, it just, they had just restored a bridge. It came in today. We haven't had food for months and months and months here to bring in. And had showed up just that day. And we took it down there, and the next day we were flying into that area. And then I watched for months and months the gospel go forward there. The Jesus film being shown. Tens of thousands of people hearing it. Full speaker systems there as we proclaimed the gospel and had feeding centers. And I mean, just this incredible work of God taking place. But in looking at it, like, I, I remember at that time, like, my heart was broken. Like, I just, there was great sorrow in me because I wanted them to hear the gospel. But then I, I think of times where my heart wasn't like that at all. Being in some place like Romania, and they say, today's the day we're doing hospital visitations. And I just thought, like, oh, I can't stand hospital visitations. <laughs> Like, this is like the worst thing you could have me do. It smelled terrible, and people were miserable, and it was just the worst smells. And I, I just thought, oh, just, this is like the one part of the trip I just can't stand, but I'll do it. And then always after leaving, just praising God for the gospel going forward and seeing people's lives radically changed. But knowing that in my heart it wasn't like, oh, I just want the gospel to go forward. It was just like, ah. Oh. And then looking at the loss that are around me on a daily basis and saying, where's my heart on these things? As a church, we need to have a heart that, that thinks so biblically that we look and we see man's depravity and we see our sin. And we see that the, the only hope for salvation is in the gospel. is in the proclamation of the gospel. To think about God saying things like, 
For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Having a heart that is for the gospel, that just says, how will they hear unless we preach it? How will they hear unless we proclaim the gospel? A heart for the lost that brings us to a place of, of saying, more than anything, I want the gospel to go forward. Not having a, a view of people that says, well, they are of this faith or they're of that faith and they're, they hate us and, and they do bad things. And I'm not going to, I don't know, I don't want to go proclaim the gospel to that particular area or to those particular people. And I think of, of Paul where in Acts 23, verse 12, it says that some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. 40 people that said, we're not going to eat and we're not going to drink till we kill him. We're making a covenant. There's 40 of us. We will not eat, we will not drink till we kill that man. And you hear him, I'm not lying, there is great sorrow, there's continual grief in my heart. I would, I would rather be a curse for the sake of my brethren. More than anything, I want to see them come to know Christ. There's great sorrow that's in my heart. You hear him in Philippians 3, 18, where he says, For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. When he thinks about the lost, he says, I, I tell you this, and there's tears that flow forward from my eyes, because they're enemies of the cross. They hate Christ. Their eyes are blinded. They're going to spend eternity in hell. In Romans 10.1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for, to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You hear the psalmist in Psalm 119 saying, Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. That it affects me to where there's just tears that flow because of the wickedness of man. And I look at this and I just think, God, give us hearts that are like that. Give us hearts that look and say, I can honestly say, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience is also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. There's a sorrow that's there because they're lost. I know the gospel. I know that he died on the cross and he takes all of our sins upon himself and he gives us his righteousness. He rose again on the third day and whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I think of Jonathan Edwards in, in 
sinners in the hands of an angry God where he's speaking to this congregation and he says something along the lines of there was, if there was one person that was in this sanctuary who would spend eternity in hell, if there was just one of you here that was going to spend eternity in hell and we knew it for sure, all of us would, would weep with a bitter cry. If there was one of us that, that was here in the midst of us that would spend eternity where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and where the fire isn't quenched and where the worm cannot die in blackest darkness away from the glory of God for all eternity. If there was one person, there would be just the most bitter cry that would be there for, of us, for us. And we think of, of family members. And some of you who are here with us this morning, you identify with this completely where you look and you say, I have great sorrow. I have continual grief in my heart. I wish myself would be accursed if it was for my child. If if I knew my child would go to heaven, I I would gladly give my life up for them. I'd give up my salvation if I knew that they could or for my mom, or for my dad, or for my grandpa, my grandma, for my sibling, for my friend. Like, your heart is just so heavy. I did. And, and know that Paul is identifying with you in this. When you, when you sit there and just think, I just, I just want them to be saved. I can't imagine eternity without them. I just, I want them to be saved. There's just this great sorrow that's in my heart. There's this continual grief that's there. I'd, I'd give it all up. I just, I want them more than anything to be saved. And, and the reason you think that way is because it's right. And it's biblical. And when you know Christ, and when your eyes have been opened to be able to see that Christ takes all of our sins upon himself and gives us all of his righteousness, and we get to enter into the joy of the Lord, and there's him that holds us in his hand, and and the Father who's greater than all holds us in his hand, and there's no one that can snatch you away, and it's everlasting life, and you're going to drink from the fountain of living waters it's never going to make it so you never thirsty again and, and you get to have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and he's your god and we're his people and we've been adopted into his family and we're his bride and we belong to him and we get that for all eternity and you look at the contrast of eternity and hell and you look at it and you just think i just i want them more than anything to be saved and you look at it and you just think like how do they not believe how i don't how do they not believe I mean, you go through scripture and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that were given that say, this is what's going to happen. And then you go and you look and it's exactly what happened, exactly as God had said. You look at the perfection of God's word in every detail. I mean, you go through archaeologists and look at what they used to say and then God said this and then they found out that it was actually exactly how God said that it was. And you go through and you can look at all the details of Christ and his death and his resurrection and how it had all been prophesied beforehand and it came out exactly how God had said and you look at the the apostles and you look at the early church and you see these who saw him over 500 at one time and you look at the so many of them were put to death for their faith because they believed in him and they never would have ever gone away from him even if it meant their life they gave up their life because they knew that they had seen him 
They knew that he was their savior. He knew, they knew that he was their God. Going to Africa or going to India or going to China or going to Russia or going to Europe, watching the apostles go all over the face of the world because they wanted to proclaim the gospel. They wanted to tell people about Christ and they would leave everything. They would leave everything for the sake of the gospel. And you look and you think, how do they not believe? How do they not believe? The evidence is all there. And yet their hearts are so hard towards the gospel. Paul's saying, I have great sorrow, continual grief in my heart. I pray that we as a church would more and more think like that. I pray that, that, that the first eight chapters of Romans alone, I mean, you could take the entirety of Scripture, but you just take the first eight chapters that we have been studying. I pray that it would, it would cause us to love Christ with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength, that it would cause such worship to take place in our hearts. That it would give us an incredible heart for the lost as well as for missions. When I say missions, I don't mean just to the uttermost parts of the world. I mean, I mean here as well. You look at... at What's taking place? We, I hope to go to Sudan in the fall. We're going to take, a, Lord willing, another team to, to Haiti. Next, fall, next summer, hopefully a large team to Africa. There's people that are doing trips left and right here. Um, Pastor Don goes several times a year. China, Philippines, Haiti. Others that go frequently to different parts of the world. But having hearts that say, I'd go. Or maybe you can't go. But having hearts that say, I'll send people. <laughs> I'll send. I, 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 I was thinking about it last night. I think I've met with over 10 missionaries in the last three months and heard all that God's doing in their ministries but was left with, at this time, we're not able to help you. At this time, we can't, we can't do anything, but we'll be praying for you for sure. And having them just share, like, this is what's going on, and you look, and you're just like, it's glorious. Like, but being a church that has a heart to do this, not looking at what kind of evangelistic outreaches are we doing. I, I want us to be doing evangelical, evangelical outreaches. I, I absolutely want us to proclaim the gospel. But for us as a church, looking at it and not saying, like, what are we doing? But what am I doing? I, can I share the gospel with people at work or to my neighbor? Can I share the gospel with, with the person on the soccer team or the parent? Looking put out, we have 1,700 of these Jesus films. Take as many as you want. But it has, it has the Jesus film, which is word for word to the gospel, in several different languages, whether it be Arabic or English or Farsi or French or Mandarin or Spanish. 
Vietnamese and others. I mean, it's in almost every single language. And you can just take them and say like, hey, will you watch this and let's talk about it after. You can go to your neighbor who speaks Chinese. You can never communicate with them. They just speak Chinese and you don't have time to learn it. You, you can just go put this on their front porch or just give it to them. Just give it to them. Like, hey. Whatever you say, I don't know. Do your little. Add some popcorn. Give it to them. But a love for the lost that gets out of our comfort zone because we love Christ. We love missions. We love evangelism. One of my favorite thoughts on missions comes from John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Um, missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God's ultimate, not man. And when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. Once again, worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. It's the goal of missions. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. Psalm 97, verse 1, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Or Psalm 67, verse 3 and 4, Let the peoples Praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. But worship's also the fuel of missions. Passions for God, passion for God and worship precedes the author of, offer of God in preaching. You can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad. If they cannot say from the heart, I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be glad and exult in him. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Missions begins and ends in worship. He says, if the pursuit of God's glory is not ordered above the pursuit of man's good and the affections of the heart and of the priorities of the church, man will not be well served and God will not be duly honored. I am not pleading for a diminishing of missions, but of a magnifying of God. Um, I, I tell you, on, on Sunday morning, when we go through his word, our heart is to show you just the majesty of Christ and the gospel. Our heart is to show you his sovereignty and his goodness and his kindness and his grace and his mercy. Our heart is to show you through the pages of scripture, which makes it so easy if we just stick to the text and just look at it and see that he's to be exalted above all things. He's to be treasured above all things. He's to be, he's to be worshiped and he is to be central to every part of our lives. And there's no condemnation for us, but there's everlasting life. And we're not under the law, but we're under grace. And this is what this means. And this is what salvation looks like. And this is how it comes. And it's whosoever believes in him. It all comes by faith. And to show you what this salvation 
salvation is and who our God is so that our hearts would worship him to such a degree that missions would just take place in the workplace and in the home and in the neighborhood and on the soccer team and even to the uttermost parts of the world that there would be a heart for missions because we love Christ. We love him and we know that the gospel is the only hope for salvation. And we know that God is sovereign and that he is good and that he can direct our steps and he makes it so his word does not return void and we could go and proclaim the gospel and know that he prepares the hearts of those that are going to hear it so that they might believe. But hearts that look at texts like this and say, okay, God, that's not where I'm at right now. I don't have great sorrow, continual grief in my heart. I just, I'm afraid to share the gospel. I'm afraid of what people are going to think of me. I'm afraid that they're going to think I'm a radical or that I'm not relevant or that I'm just so backwards. I'm afraid. I, I don't want to talk about hell. No one wants to hear about hell. And yet you, you see Paul just saying, I do anything that they might be saved. I think of the message that we have in the gospel, salvation that comes by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. And I I think of the salvation that we have, and there's no greater message that we could ever proclaim. The gospel is central to Reverence Bible Church. It is central. It is why we exist. We exist for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. Clarity that is there is behold your God. This is who he is. This is what he has done. This is his Holy Spirit and how he has gifted us. Now let's go forward and let's preach the gospel and let's make disciples. That's why we exist. That message cannot be improved upon. I got an email or a message today saying that we as a church, there's a calling from Hollywood, from Warner Brothers, for us as churches across the world to 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 make our Sunday sermon, they even sent us an outline that our sermon was to be on Superman, Man of Steel. <clears throat> All the correlations between Superman, Man of Steel, and Christ. And I was like, you do not, I'm sorry I even mentioned it this morning. I, I, I look at it like, that's not what we need. We don't need, uh, they gave us videos we could show you, like, Superman. I don't know, go watch it. I, I, it may be good, but I look at it like it's not the purpose of Sunday morning worship service. It's the proclamation of the gospel. It's the proclamation of God's word. It's bringing his people to a place of, behold your God, this is who he is. This is what our salvation is. Having the Holy Spirit work in our hearts to where hopefully, if there's anybody that was in the same condition as me or that is in the same condition as me, that you with me will look and say, God, Please make it so that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart because there's those that are unsaved. Make it so that I think like that. I need to think like that. Make it so that that's in my heart. Because when that's in your heart, you say things like Paul when he says, See, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter if change and tribulations await me. It doesn't matter if they think I'm irrelevant or if they think I'm radical. It doesn't matter. 
I have continual grief in my heart because they don't know Christ and I want to proclaim the gospel. How will they believe if they do not hear? I want to proclaim the gospel. I've been entrusted with the best news ever and Jesus tells us, now go forth and make disciples. Now go forth and preach the gospel. It's central to our church. Everything in our church is centered upon Christ and the gospel and the making of disciples and proclaiming this is who our God is. We treasure Christ and we treasure his word, don't we? If, If worship is the fuel and it is the goal of missions, then may we continually, may we continually proclaim Christ and his supremacy and his worth, his majesty. May we continually point to his accomplishments on the cross so that the fuel at Reverence Bible Church is great for the purpose of missions, for the purpose of evangelism, for the purpose of boldness in the proclamation of the gospel. We need hearts that are like this. And the way that our hearts get to be like this is by asking God to give us hearts that are like this. We cannot do this on our own. It is saying, Lord, please accomplish this in me. Help me to see you. Help me to see the lost. Help me to understand with clarity the gospel. Help me to understand my dependence upon you in preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. And help me to understand that my life, it's, for my life it began in 1972 and then there's this little dash. And I don't know when it will end. I'm not sure where it's going to end, but there's a little dash that's there. And every one of us has it. And that little dash, it's small, but it can be used in incredible ways for the purpose of the proclamation of the gospel. But God, give us hearts that are like Paul's. I think of some of those that have had such a great impact on the world. Men like George Whitfield who prayed, Oh Lord, give me souls or take my soul. John Knox in Scotland who prayed, Give me Scotland or I die. People like David Brainerd who said, I cared not where or how I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls for Christ. While I was asleep, I dreamed of these things. And when I awoke, the first thing I thought of was this great work. Or Samuel Hadley of New York City who said, God, the sin of the city is breaking my heart. Or R.A. Torrey who said, I would rather win souls than be the greatest king or emperor on the earth. I would rather win souls than be the greatest general that ever commanded an army. I would rather win souls than be the greatest poet or novelist or literary man who ever walked the earth. My one ambition in this life is to win as many as possible. Hearts that are in a place of, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. 
and then just watching the gospel go forward and just have a radical impact on the nation of Scotland. May we think like that. May we love the gospel. May we love the lost. And may we take that message to the uttermost parts of the world. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We love the gospel. We love that there's a message that tells the world that there is a holy God that is in heaven that cannot be a part of sin. And yet he gave us his only begotten son. He placed all of our sin upon him. That whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. May our hearts break for the loss. May we find ourselves described as sorrowful, but yet always rejoicing. Having a heaviness that's on our heart because we just we want people to know Christ and to spend eternity with Him. We see so clearly that you are our God and that you are our Savior and that you have redeemed us. And we desire for people to know you. Give the saints here at Reverence Bible Church in boldness, the right hearts. May we have the right hearts that are broken for the loss. Cause us to see the weight of eternity and the treasure of the gospel. That we might have boldness in proclaiming it. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you inspired Paul to write. And I pray that there would be many, many more people that would be able to honestly say, I'm not lying, I'm telling the truth. The Holy Spirit bears witness that our hearts are grieving because of the loss. It may we, like Paul, have such boldness to go and to proclaim the gospel here, to our families, and even to the uttermost parts of this world. May the fuel of missions be exemplified through the praises of your people this morning. And may the fruit of it be glad feet, precious feet that leave this place going forward to proclaim the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.